Why, hello there, Tim. Why? Hello there. Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) And, oh, indeed, why, hello there, everyone listening. Welcome to today's episode. Doesn't matter what day you're listening on it, you're listening to it. It's the day for this episode for you. Today's episode of Dismembering Horror, the podcast show where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan, we dismember a horror film for you and for us. Every week we talk about it. We talk about what worked, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a, you guessed it, horror film. And we've made it to episode 141 of our fair podcast show. Tim, can you remember what we were reviewing 100 episodes ago? It's very appropriate, actually. Ooh, what would episode 41 have been? Possession. Yes. Damn, I'm good. (laughs) Yes. And um, I would Not even looking at it. I would use that film to start to point at some of the areas this film that we're talking about today lives in. Were those made in the same year? Uh, Possession, I think, was like 79, 80, 81. Like, you know, sort of a long release. And then Angst is 83. So that's the name of today's film. Yeah, oh yeah. 81 is the official on Possession. But yeah, I think you're right. It was sort of floating around for a couple years. Yeah, so Angst is today's film. (laughs) <laughs> Ryan, Boy, it's, uh, it's pronounced angst. Angst. <laughs> Sorry. Angst. <laughs> and what as a German title too, right? It's um well, angst is a German for um it's like despair or something like that or f- fear. Let me look. So I so yeah, uh possession it's very gray. It's very uh, depressing, <laughs> like this film. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Let's back. I, I just wanted to start to aim at like how to describe this film, Tim. Just uh, you know, using other films we've watched. Mm-hmm. So I'd say like it's somewhere in like it exists somewhere between possession, the last house on the left, mm-hmm. trouble every day. Mm-hmm. You, Right? Would you say that's accurate? Very, Anything else that comes accurate. to mind? And of course, something we haven't reviewed, um, but all know, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer right. yeah. is in there too. But also, he, st- there's yeah, also uh, that kind of docu documentary sort of study style thing that happens in the beginning, which made me think of Haxon actually, because of how there's this kind of narrator talking about the affliction or whatever. Uh, yeah. in in that very like almost educational way. Yeah. Have you seen that movie Clean Shaven? Kind of reminded me. Uh, I don't think parts so. of that too. Okay. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of ourselves here. This this <laughs> film is just one of those films that absolutely goes there as a yeah. way to put it and it's just like 
already it just brings up all these these intense emotions and is just a, a very loaded topic in film, at least I think so. So maybe I was just getting a bit ahead of myself there. Um, but yeah. some very important things to get out of the way first, Tim. We like to amend and correct anything said in previous episodes. Sure. What did what dumb thing did I say? This is a big one that I said. Mm. I meant to say double-edged sword is the phrase, right? <laughs> I remember when you said this and I, I just said, let it go. I said double-edged coin. <laughs> I mean, but maybe that's a new one. Like maybe there's some deeper meaning, even more deep meaning that you can use <laughs> yeah. that for. You're right. Right. Thinking of like, you know, a coin has two sides, but it's got an edge separating them. Uh, but there is no double because it's all the same edge. Anyway. Yeah. I know the anything, feeling. Anything else you've got to address I've, before we move on? I just, I'm particularly fond of those like mixing of idioms or, or you know, <laughs> even just like when people mix two words by accident like their brains just sort of short circuit like when i was in college <laughs> one of the guys who lived down the hall from me who was like a very um he was a very sort of gregarious dude but like he was also like kind of secretly shy and especially around girls he just like he kind of put on a big game, but then when it came to actually interacting with girls, he'd kind of, he'd, he'd get nervous and, and pretty funny to be honest. But one day we're walking back to our dorm room and we passed these two girls and he said, <laughs> he tried to be so cool. He wanted to say, Hey, how's it going ladies? Very smoothly as we walked by. And instead he said, <laughs> Hi, how how's it doing, ladies? And it was just like it, the girls looked at him like you are a complete bonehead. <laughs> and he knew the second it came out of his mouth that it was wrong. Like it just he was like mixing up words, and like <laughs> the like the shame spiral that he went into because we were freshmen and he was trying to impress everybody basically. I remember him like his head just dropped and he like ran into the dorm and was like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> but stuff like that tickles. Yeah. Me. No, it's funny. I mean, I'm sure you and listeners of the show know I basically, that's just my default way of speaking, it feels <laughs> yeah. like, is to always mix it up. But, but like idioms and things like that, I usually get correct. So that's why that one was funny. Actually, there, uh, I don't need to give another example, whatever. We got a, we got a big movie to talk about today. <laughs> Um, so should we move on with our trailer? Oh do yeah, just that. Great. Yeah, we should. Yeah, we All right. should. Here from is this nineteen eighty three. This is it right here, Tim. Yum. Here we go. Angst. Yeah. 
Well, sorry for you listeners. That was largely, well, that was all uh, a silent, aside from music, trailer. And it felt, you're, yeah, Tim said during it, who made this trailer? It was weird. <laughs> but what, what struck me about it the most watching it was it just felt so odd for the movie to have like the voice of God narrator talking about him from a third person perspective. You know, like he was living in his fantasies he killed his mother because the film's the opposite of that. It's it's hyper, hyper subjective with the killer. We have his his thoughts as narration throughout. It just felt so at odds with the movie. It was weird. Well, watching. well, I'm but there it, it it is in line with the first 10 minutes of the movie, which has that. But I'd say that is done in the sort of the style of like news reporting yeah. of here are the yeah, brass yeah. tacks facts those right it's kind weird of like to carry that into the trailer because the trailer is supposed to be about like what the movie's about more than what the introduction of the movie is about <laughs> yeah <laughs> sure i think i followed that um <laughs> But uh, anyway, yeah, so after the trailer, we'll move on to our rating here. Would Tim and I tell ourselves to stream this film? Or sorry, avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it? Who should go, Tim? I should go? Huh. I think that this is a... I I didn't like it enough to buy it. Um, But I think it's very good, and it's like, from a filmmaker standpoint it's doing certain things so well that i think it's like almost necessary viewing so i i would say rent it for sure yeah i've been oscillating between a rent it and a buy it like i definitely it's it's unfair to compare them but i'm not i'm just using it as a comparison to say that something like possession or there's not a lot like it so possession it goes into like the soup, the questionably supernatural territory yeah. Yeah. that I, I just a taste thing love more mm-hmm. than something that's straight up serial killer. Uh, but with this, I think I have to. Even though then I was also thinking of like what you said about Last House on the Left. Like as much as you may have loved it, you don't necessarily want to have it in your house or feel like yeah, you'd yeah. have it in your house. <laughs> but. I don't know. This one, where I always fall on if it's some, if I want to buy something or not, is if it was powerful enough to have a kind of effect on me, then that will make me want to buy it to simply like understand it. Mm. Uh, and I think this movie just crosses that line for me, putting it into a buy it. Okay. And I, I mean, the what it's all about. There's okay. Can I preface this? <laughs> just some of my enthusiasm could be put as like. I think Twin Peaks The Return is just the best thing made ever, maybe. And <laughs> okay. this, this, the scene that has stuck with me most from that, that I just can't shake since I've seen it. If, if you have seen it, not really big spoiler, but it's basically when young Richard Horn goes to rob his grandmother and there's like an invalid like brother or something like that mm-hmm. there. And it just captures this 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 disturbing feel that I had never experienced before. But this movie gets at whatever that was, and it's something that clearly like has an effect on me. So, so there, th- I think maybe that is when I made that connection helped put it over the top. 
Yeah. And like you said too, just filmically, it's it's incredible, the filmmaking on display. And I'll get into more specifics there as we get into what worked. Tim. Yep. <laughs> Did we say who uh, who made this? Oh, no, sorry. Do you want to? Yeah, let's see. So directed by, I'm going to say it's Gerald Cargi. Um, it's an L at the end there. Oh, is it? Cargill. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Gerald Cargill, um, who also was a co-writer with... Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to say this. This is an intense name. There's no, Polish looking. There's no vowels. Um, Zbig... Zbig... Jesus. Rib... Zinski. Big new ribbon. At this point, shit. I like, I honestly Whatever. don't know if it's better to try or not. I wish, I wish I could say it properly. Um, anyway, so then it's uh, the guy, the lead is is Edwin Leader, I'm going to guess. Maybe Letter. Irwin. Oh, sorry, Irwin. Wow. I apparently I can't read today. And then there's other people. Um, but yeah, man. Good Great. Job, and well, I would love to hear from you, Tim, your Tim summary of it. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I like what is there to say? You've got uh an unnamed serial killer. And we I mean he's basically listed, we get listed his background. Okay on the Wikipedia, so we can call him K, the letter oh, K, or okay. the psychopath is how he's called. Oh, okay. Let's call him K, why not? Okay, so you've got K, and he is a serial killer, and we see him um, kind of uh, emotionlessly look for somebody to kill, and he lands on a house, and he kills an older couple who answer the door. And then we kind of get a bunch of his just backstory in this in this almost news story footage style. Um, but we learn that like he was pretty neglected as a kid and abused and like was already had sort of a predilection for the very standard serial killer psychopath tropes of like killing animals as a young kid, um, antisocial getting in a lot of trouble. I think maybe this would classify him more as a sociopath, uh, but that's always confusing to me. But anyway, so we get a bunch of backstory on him as an adolescent and like being in and out of, I guess, juvenile detention type stuff. And then when he gets, you know, <clears throat> there's some nice commentary on like the system just not really getting it and not being either helpful or like... To him or to society with their tactics. Um, it's especially biting because it's so realistic. Yeah. yeah. And so the, re the real meat of the, of the movie comes after that kind of expositional section where we, we get to meet him as an adult in prison. He's been there for 10 years, but he's being released. And we go into his narration and he basically says, he's like, yeah, I've been waiting to get out so that I could just go K 
kill people again. <laughs> that's yeah. all I've been thinking about. And now and they've that's let what me happens. Out. And that's just what he does. He like walks down the street from the prison and starts looking for people to go after. Eventually, he he you know has a couple missteps, I guess you would say, <laughs> <laughs> which end him uh, up at a residence in the woods, like very nice kind of mansiony type place. And he stakes it out, breaks in, waits for the family to show up. And once they do, he has a real, you know, a real fun time with them. For him. Yeah. Not for them. And then we watch the aftermath, the immediate aftermath uh, play out in real time as well. Mm-hmm. Just like the killings themselves. It's really interesting. And then he, uh, well, gets caught and end of movie yeah and he has this kind of throughout he's just he's relating how this like how he i kind of don't even want to say feels because it's not really like his feelings it's like he's relating his impulses to his past it's more like a reasoning thought right pattern yes like yeah, like we're getting his, yeah, exactly that from him. Yeah, he's like, I'm doing this because of this, and I'm going to do this because uh, it's what I need to do. It's, I mean, not to get too far ahead, but it's so disturbing. He's He seems to be suppressing his emotions still largely. Like as intense as he may be feeling in the moment, it sort of all comes out in one moment that we'll get to. Uh Anyway, hmm. maybe I'm yeah. getting ahead of myself, but yeah. Well, it's funny because in the last few episodes, we've we've touched on a lot of the just the sort of broad themes of psychopathy, and in particular, serial killer psychopathy. And now we're like this movie is basically like, yeah, all those things you said, we're gonna do those. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just like ironic. Or coincidental, I guess. The path we're being set down right now. (laughs) Yeah. And to continue down that path, we got to move to our first section, What Worked. If you're ready for that, I am. I sure am. Great. Here we go. What Worked. What Worked. What Worked for you. What Worked for you. It worked like a charm, Smith. What Worked. What Worked. What a theme song that was just then. <laughs> Sometimes I forget about how great it is. They're they're so great. All right. <laughs> now should we toot someone else's horn here, Tim? Yeah, 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 yeah. We should. Toot. All right. Which horn do you want to toot? Uh, I think the biggest, the standout thing to kind of get aw- get out of the way in insofar as that it's not story related. Well, it is, but it isn't in its own way. Just the mechanics uh, of the decisions with the camera, like throughout, it's so kind of its own thing. And it's really amazing. This is such a good example to me of how when you make certain decisions about the camera, you almost in a way are making the camera a character or in this in this case, I feel like they they sort of are. When you make, you know, when the decisions work, the 
the effect that that has on the viewer can be so incredibly strong. Like I couldn't detach myself from the feeling that the camera placement and camera work gave me. More so than what the action of the the story was or the action of the characters where I was like, the camera work is making me feel something uh, almost foundational that's that's driving everything else. And that to me is so cool. It's like wild to me how effective that is. And from the get-go too, right? Yeah. The opening shot yeah. is, I I really hate the term that, it exists to describe it. It's called snorry cam. I just hate what? how that sounds. That's With horrible. The, what does that even uh, right, mean? The camera. Oh, right. Well, I mean, you know what it is. It's the camera attached to the body. Right. Like, you know, but <laughs> where that came from, I don't even want to give it that, that due. Uh, pretty, I, I'd say pretty early example of that. I mean, maybe relatively, but I recommended the movie Seconds pretty mm-hmm, recently mm-hmm. that was the earliest example i had seen of it i don't oh, know cool. exactly yeah. which one it is but we've got that going on and it's incredible because it's not just attached to him and like staying from a fixed angle like requiem for a dream it goes to rotate around yeah. him and yeah. while he's moving too and we have it do a like maybe a 340 degree rotation right. around him when he's uh i think it's he's shaving in front of the mirror at one point, yeah, it's yeah. just, it, it, ugh, God, I was really in awe of it and how effective it was. I just am like, how did right. you do this? Like, what well, was the, the the actual, like, physical mechanism that allowed you to, is it a harness around his waist? What's, okay, I want to zoom out a bit. Like, what gets me about this is when things that all, like, there are a couple things going on in this that feel like they're, diametrically opposed sort of goal wives in a way but this shows that you can do both for a really interesting effect so i'm talking about shooting something for realism yet also shooting it with highly stylized camera work (laughs) yeah and then uh what was the oh and the other one is objectivity of the films there and the film's point of view yet an extreme subjectivity with our main character. So it was, mm-hmm. it was, I think in that maybe that too is what tipped it into a buy it for me. It was just how the film is doing all those things. I, I hadn't really quite ever seen that before. Yeah, I mean, for example, the vast, vast majority of this film is shot from near overhead. Like, like we're this kind of floating above observer. Now, that's not to say that there aren't other shots, but I'm, I'm man, it's got to be 80% of the film is from overhead. It's crazy. I mean, even the attached shots, a lot of them are above eyeline, looking slightly down. There are ones that aren't, but like, it's it just struck me how much of it you kind of have these two main methods of shooting which is physically attaching the camera to a character mostly K um and then which has its this particular kind of almost metaphorical 
like aspect to it where it's like we don't want to feel attached to him in a in a metaphorical sense or or a literal sense <laughs> and it is it is forcing us to be attached to him so to me that's just kind of fucking brilliant like to be like we're going to show you a awful person doing awful things and we're going to literally attach you to his hip <laughs> Like that's that's amazingly brilliant to me. It's an interesting way to make something feel subjective that's not a point of view right. angle. Right. How and it, then yeah, yeah, then that that and then having like kind of I think what you're saying in a way is like having this other main uh method of viewing the story be the essentially the 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 um, omnipotent viewer the the god viewer you know it's like nowadays we use this in video games right like you have that particular viewpoint in most of the run and shoot kind of whatever i don't know what 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 are those games uh what's the big one fortnite right or is one of them where you your point of view mostly is from up and you know, up above the, your little character running around and looking down on them. Um, but you have a view of the world around it. And that that very much is, I would call, sort of the God angle. And to have those two things be your two main options is just crazy from a storytelling point of view. Like, and they crazy got, good. They got God on a really, really high crane. Like <laughs> yeah. that was incredible. The shot Some of that, that man that tracks um starting above the prison and goes yeah. down like by the corner of the building. That was just the most yeah. impressive crane shots I had ever seen. It felt like yeah, one another but, another one where he's leaving the prison and they yep. time it with the clock striking noon. Yeah. And then the smaller crane shots too, like when they're the families entering the house at the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's just used liberally throughout. Even him walking, just walking down the road is is that same basic angle. I just think it's so cool and so smart to be to not just say, oh, we're using this for this effect in a moment, but rather we're we're locking ourselves into this is the vast majority of how we're going to show the action of this story. And that and then, that's a challenge, man. Like, <laughs> like think about the, just the logistical challenge of being like, actually, no, everything's being shot from above. Right. What a pain in the ass. <laughs> the, and then it gets even more specific within those mm-hmm. uh, methods or constraints. And that's, that's what really wowed me too, or additionally wowed me. So, for example, maybe this is just a more byproduct one, but the shakiness of some of those like yeah. whipping cams that were so adjusted to being smooth, it's, yes, yeah, it's like the best of both worlds in a way. Uh, just adding to the freneticism of when he's in that house and it's you're just watching the chaos play out of him yeah. assaulting the family, and then also like uh, you know, similarly when he's. I mean, the the big bulk of the film, Assaulting the Family. There's some shots where it's like the camera's moving all around, but then like it doesn't quite follow the action when let's say they fall down to the floor. Right. Or maybe it does, but then only a couple seconds later does it catch up with them. And then vice versa. Uh, it's, it's, it's really incredible. Well, I think 
I think that the, to me, the big takeaway, like the, you know, if you're going to say there's a lesson in this methodology to, to extract, it's that, and this is kind of a just true, I think, with, with really any construct that you create filmmaking wise, when you, when you choose a, a big rule, right? Like the overhead is our, is our, that's our starting point, And that's the thing that we're going to, we're going to move from like we're that's our that's our our, default that's our default right that yeah when you do that every time you do something else it has more impact right so like the strength of the shots that are not from the default become much more poignant and like intense in this case but like they just they 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 shock you in a way like the second we get into the real fighty fight stuff and we're like the camera's suddenly on the ground, it's jarring and scary. Like, like suddenly we're like, you know, underneath him and it's like, oh shit, he's coming. Like he's going to get us. And that like, that's so to me, that is the brilliant component of directing, right? Like when you can hone in on those kind of things and use those tools to their maximum effect, like that's exciting to me. Right. Cause not to mention they do use the maybe more typical, but highly effective, uh, feels like up close wide angle shots. Yeah. We have, uh, (laughs) we have, um, some incredible long takes Mm -hmm. as well. They'll just go and go. And then we do have still framed, uh, just you know, more low to ground shots too. Yeah, um, yeah, got it all. It really is. I, I feel like <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I didn't really go down and read the the like impact that this film had, um, or on the, like the reception of her or, or whatever. But like my like the, that that weird um disc. Uh, disclaimer kind of thing at the beginning that Shutter put up. Did you see that? Yeah, and I was going to read it for our things of note, but do you want to hear yeah, it now? Yeah, I think it's important to 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 sort of say here before we dive in further. Great. So this is I'd never seen on Shutter before. I'm sure it's on their some other films because it looks like a generic one. It doesn't mention this right, film right. by name, but it says a polite note of warning. The titles deemed extreme, quote, come shrouded in ultra-graphic content, controversy, and in certain cases, legal dispute. They can be as intense and vivid as they are culturally and cinematically significant. Shudder is proud to present these transgressive, boundary-pushing, sometimes banned, and totally rad films in their most complete form. For the squeamish, discretion is advised. So, man, yeah, it's really interesting to me to have that, I don't know if it's a take, but like the the fact that that is something that seemed to, like somebody thought that needed to be said with this movie is very, it's weird and and super intriguing to me because I, I don't think this movie is, is, Oh, you know, ho- over the top or like horror. I didn't feel like that feeling of it's gone too far. 
I actually felt that feeling more in um, what's the one where with the the pregnant woman that we watched un right something I forget what it's called. Where I was like, okay, maybe this is a it's a little hard for me to swallow. I didn't really feel that with this this one at all. Um, well, I mean, that was an actual critique we had of that one where it took us right. out of the movie. Right, right. This, I'd say, I think it comes from anything that is like a Henry Portrait of the Serial Killer, Last House on the Left, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't allow people to take comfort in sort of a, a, a cinematic familiarity or glossiness. Yeah, yeah. Like a, th- there's, there's a safety when something feels more traditional Hollywood, right, let's say. Right. And these films... Uh, completely go outside of that and can really strike people as... And not to mention, this was inspired by an actual serial killer, too. Mm. So there's that element to it. Right. But I really think that's when these films especially spark up controversy, is when they air on that side of the style. Which, and to kind of answer your question, uh, it didn't have much of an impact because it was never really allowed to. It was largely yeah. banned after an initial release and wasn't even available on home video in Germany till the early 2000s. And then the rest of the world, I think it only got a recent Blu- Blu-ray release here, like 2015 or something like that. So I guess I guess my point in, in bringing all of that up is that it's pretty crazy considering how overtly clear the the mastery of filmmaking that exists in this movie is right yeah. like so to me i'm kind of like man like how <laughs> you it, it's a little discouraging and a little mind-boggling to think you could make a movie and i mean i guess this is this is obviously subjective but i think this is incredibly high-end filmmaking technical filmmaking all of the above storytelling um and yet because you know he gets off on killing people and we when we get to see that a bunch of like people clutched their pearls and said shelve it forever well maybe i think it's important to mention how exactly far this film does go because i think that's pretty applicable here like I mean, there's no other way to describe it other than just saying it. But with the the daughter of the family, who's her last to live, he chases her out into a tunnel, very similar to um, Possession, mm-hmm. and stabs her to death in the tunnel, rapes her, and drinks her blood, mm-hmm. and then vomits in a in a display of. Somewhere purging. between purging, catharsis, dis- mm-hmm. self-disgust. I don't know. It's an extreme. So I, so maybe that's it more too. It's, I mean, the movie that, that exists in this film, you don't see that every day. No, you don't. And I, and I also think, yeah, it's important to note that it, it, the time that it came out, maybe there hadn't been a lot of other examples of this type of extreme cinema I mean, since then, we've seen, I've seen way more extreme stuff, but I get it. Um, But also, it's not, it just doesn't feel like. 
Wait, I feel like that kind of covers the gamut. I mean, maybe there's some more extreme, but like, what is way more extreme? I just he rapes her, <laughs> he stabs yeah, her to death, yeah, but rapes the her, drinks is her not blood. That extreme. I don't think the depiction is as extreme and graphic as other things I've seen. Okay, I think that's important to clarify because yeah, that that you said that because an idea is more powerful than showing sure. it. Totally, totally. So so I think, you know, you see that, then I think it makes sense the the impact this film. That why they're afraid of it. Right. Releasing it. Um but the thing that gets me about it is that from a storytelling point of view, it all is very in line with the movie that is being shown to us. Right? Like it's not like it's not like some filmmaker came along and was like hey 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 i'm i'm gonna just sh- do some awful stuff to really get under the skin of the audience and and like it's it doesn't seem like a middle finger kind of thing it feels just very cohesive and i it's i, I guess i shouldn't be surprised but i'm kind of like what what was what was everybody all worked up over <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Maybe this may sound weird coming from me because I get I I go in the other direction with certain things, you know. But I think it's just I don't think the gratuity uh, deserves that kind of condemnation. Well, no, I it's not. What you're arguing is it's not gratuitous at all for this film. But I think right. it's pretty clear why the controversy existed when you lay out <laughs> yeah. exactly what happens that happens yes. in this film. So yeah, I mean he he ejaculates a couple times. We don't like actually see that like in uh, the other one where we trouble actually, every day. Yeah, but like yeah, I get it. I get how some people would just, at, especially at the time, be like, "No thanks." <laughs> but I just. I don't know. I think my point, I've said it at my point and I'll just move on. But the the idea that like when you have a film that is cohesively working all around and like very clear visioned to me, that it's super annoying that the response to it is to just be like, yeah, but there is that awful moment and I just don't want to see it. And, and I'm like, I think knowing, you know, all of ours, yours, especially too, fascination with real life serial killers. Yeah. This film, it stems from the filmmakers, uh, Gerald Cargill's obsession with this case that it was inspired by. And you can tell in the movie that that is what's propelling it. Like you said, it's not a need to show anything because of the violence. It's an obsession or it's a fascination with the fact that a person could do this at all. Okay, you're and, exactly right. That that's that's much more succinct as to how I feel about the movie. I am responding very much to the thing that drives my fascination with like true crime and serial killers, which is very specifically wanting to have a deeper understanding as to the psychology of how a person can go from a person like, like, you know, just a, a baby that is a baby to a grown person who is doing these types of things. Like what's the trajectory? What's the causality? Like what are the inner workings that the dominoes that led to this? Like that's what fascinates me about it. I don't take 
any pleasure in the acts that are committed at all. Like, you know what I mean? I'm not sitting there going like, ho, 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 ho. Look at, look at that awful thing he did. I'm going, holy crap. So he, the reason that is compelling or compulsive or arousing to this person is because of these factors. And that is what's fascinating. And I think this movie is specifically laying that out and like letting us get closer to the inner workings of that person's brain. And to get upset about that as a critic or a viewer or whatever feels really dumb to me because I'm like, you're missing the point. So that's that's why that's where I that makes more sense. That's a better way of putting it all. So, yeah, like you're just explaining this film is all about just diving full on to the deep end into how and why serial killers are <laughs> or at, straight at the up. very least this particular one right so i think it's it's helpful or it can be helpful to say like what is working so well in this film like by comparing it to some other serial killer related things mm-hmm. so we have like i know you're really into i've watched a couple of them the like serial killer documentaries yeah. that are really popular right now podcasts documentaries hbo docs whatever those are great. They're they're fascinating, but I feel like they do those get at the sort of I'm going to okay, I'm going to going to zoom out even further. Uh I think kind of like you know, just sort of like why are we so obsessed with them at all, you know, or or people can be so obsessed with them at all is there is it's the motivation of serial killers is inherently unknowable as something that right. there's no easy answer. So kind of like not just horror movies, all good, all, all movies, you know, I think good movies, you could say that for. So the way that doc, those documentaries approach it is it feels like it's all about the, the devil is in the details. You yes. could say the specificities of something that's a real life happening seem to sort of inform you know, uh, the, the, the whys and the hows in a way that something, let's say, fictional can't. Sure. And then for, let's say, something like uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, that feels more like you're watching a kind of, like, almost like a found footage thing. There's something mm-hmm. about the lack of narration that's just so cold that I think makes that home invasion scene just one of the most it's, chilling ever. Yeah, it's super you, fly on the wall. Yeah, you're very, but in you're lacking the subjectivity that is just full force right, with right. this one. <laughs> so I'd say out of all those and sort of how my fascination with serial killers extends, this one is the most, has been the most interesting to me out of all those styles or, or whatever. Because it, the, the narration that's just throughout, you, God, it, it, sympathy and empathy feel like the wrong words, but you're truly in the shoes of a serial killer, a psychopath, it feels like. You're making sense of all his actions, even to where like he says something but then doesn't necessarily do it. The indiscrepancies even fill it in just as much as him speaking about it as, you know, the like like narrating as he goes. Um Yeah, I'm I so, don't I yeah. think that the yeah, we're so used to 
being um, pushed in the direction of empathy toward a character. But that's not, I don't think that's what's happening here. It's, it's just fundamental understanding of the character. You don't have to like empathize with what he's doing or where he's coming from at all. I, and I don't really, I never felt like I did. I never was like poor guy or something like that. Right. But I did feel like every time he's speaking, I'm just getting information to make me understand what he's doing more. And those two, there's a line between those two things, right? Like sometimes the understanding leads to empathy, but in this case, it never really felt like that. It just felt like, oh, I'm getting more understanding of his brain and he, that's really messed up. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. I think there was an effect going on in this one where it feels like you're being John Malkovich plopped into a serial killer in a way, even though there's no point of view. Right. It it was the thing that scared me the most was how like I'd waver between, oh God, this is horrifying what I'm watching. And then all of a sudden it's like as I'm watching paint dry or something as if a, a nothing is happening, just yeah. someone going about or whatever. And then realizing that, then that would get me then doubly disturbed that I could just, right. you know, watch something so impassively like that. But that's, but that's the approach that the filmmaking is taking and put, gets you caught up in. And that's sort of like, you know, I was going to transition when we were talking about um, the camera work and how I was saying how the, the, the camera work informs the film's perspective, but it's more than just the camera work too, as far as like the film's treating everything as both like everything's important and yet nothing's important. I can't mm-hmm. think of another way to 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 describe it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting. Yeah. And you could say that in the the storytelling too is an example of that as far as the the decisions for what the the plotting is of showing the aftermath of the murders in just as much real time as the murders themselves. The film's not saying one's more important than the other. It's all just part of the fascination of watching this guy like you're in a zoo. Or whatever, but then, mm. as as if you could hear the inner thoughts of the animal <laughs> all all the while, you know, yeah. God, you know, I'm not sure I know how to articulate this, but the, it, you just made me have sort of a thought that is like, I'm not sure if this is really right or accurate, but the thought was that in a way, how how this movie shows us what's going on. I wonder if this was kind of what the the filmmaker was attempting to do. But if you think about the 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 basic idea of a a, a psychopath, like the foundational aspect of a psychopath being that they don't have empathy, right? They don't have that ability. And so they use kind of tactics to either um, show, uh, attempt to to display that they have it, even though they don't. So it's a, it's kind of an act. But I just had so the thought was, what what does what a psychopath's brain when they're having thoughts? 
how how does that look to them right so some people right like like i'm a, a visual inside my brain and auditory so like i both hear and see my thoughts some people are one or the other some people are neither which i can't really understand but like i saw a thing recently where somebody was like wait so you all are telling me that you actually see pictures inside your head and and they're like i don't do that and i'm like whoa wait what it's really like kind of baffling because we know what we experience and to to hear that somebody has a totally totally different way of experiencing their thoughts is 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 fascinating and so it made me think okay well how does a serial killer experience their thoughts and i i almost wonder if the filmmaking is kind of exploring that that like we're not supposed to feel anything about it and that's why we have these two main ways of showing things we have the like we never see his point of view right because he kind of maybe doesn't have one he only has his auditory point of view which is the narration we get but we never see what he's seeing it's just sort of the fleeting thoughts of a damaged beyond repair man you know it's right the sense you get at least I don't know. I, I, I'd have to think about this more to articulate it better. But there's something to me that's kind of intriguing to, to explore about this idea of like when you're, when you're depicting a character, how much of that is us, the observer, watching that character do whatever they're doing and how much of it is the filmmaker trying to get us into the way that that character sees the world. And then what do you do as a technique to get that across? So, yeah, I mean, I maybe this isn't like literally where you're talking about visualizing this or that, but some, I think, interesting observations in this as far as how he might be perceiving himself. It, it seems to me like whatever like we would deem whatever we would most relate to, it's like it's just different in him. It, it feels like it's broken in him. Yes. And a, a good example of that oh, is I hope you tell he takes, you say the example that I'm thinking of. <laughs> he you when he's going back into the world after he does his murders, he puts on a new set of clothes. <laughs> yes, exactly. A clean set of clothes. This, yeah, it bothered me so much that he so, got new yeah, pants and a jacket but kept the bloody shirt on. Yes, he keeps on the bloody shirt. So it's like he also his doesn't brain, take his shoes off to take his pants off. His which brain like just misses those me. things. <laughs> Yet Tim, we can there's a lot going on with having the presence of a little dog there. It was a fascinating oh, yeah. Fascinating yeah, yeah, yeah. storytelling tool for this. But do you remember at the end when he finally <laughs> he goes back to the coffee shop and it's so funny how it plays out. He's like thinking to himself, I think I should just kill everyone in this coffee shop right now. And then we're like waiting for him to follow that action. But instead he just notices that the dog is barking in the car who he just kind of let follow him and he goes and feeds him a sausage. Yeah, And you're like, he's... Nothing about that, though, seems like he's doing it in order to fit in. It seems like a genuine, like that is something where he does 
just fall under, you know, normal ways of being of, oh, a dog's hungry, I'm going to go feed it. Like that, that exists for him. And to the point that it supersedes his motivation to kill everyone there in the moment is kind of incredible. That's right. That's, that's a big part of this and why it works is because he as a character is completely disconnected in all forms. Like he's disconnected. And in particular, why it seems so, I probably frightening and also just confusing or like intriguing to us is that we all kind of have some version of a of morality that's working at all times, right? Like, you know, whatever that may be or wherever you land on that spectrum, he has none of that. And it's not even like he's going to feed the dog because he's like, oh, the dog needs something. He is just responding in real time. In com- He's completely disconnected from that idea of, of morality. He's just living like literally moment to moment. It's everything he does. All of his motivations are feeling based because when he talks about his screwed up childhood, he's not putting it as like, it's interesting because it, he does make the connection as if this family he's killing reminds him is of his family that right. tortured him. So he's so he is enacting out some sort of revenge in a way, but it's not like as if it's a sort of consciously motivated. It's right. these deep underlying feelings that uh, he's acting out on for it. Yeah. Well, but in a way, it, I, I I would maybe argue that it's still that he's just reacting in real time. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, that's moment. what I'm saying. Feeling based. It's not. It's not like oh, because my family tortured me, I'm have my master plan to enact revenge. It's but that connection of the satisfaction of it being revenge is still there from a purely feeling place. Yeah, but he's and he's also sort of he's relating it to his experience, but he's not like there's very little contemplation. It's not like he's going, what does this mean? He never is like at wondering what any of it means. <laughs> yeah. He's just going, oh, that's right in front of me. Now I want this. Now or or probably need this. I need this. I need that. I need that. This is cool. That's cool. He like when he says I want we can all be together, it's like he's not there's no there's no judgment or he's not thinking further beyond the momentary thought. And I think what's so scary is that that can be a very admirable trait. <laughs> it can be. Yeah. Yeah. To I, be I think mostly is unencumbered. Wait, wait, that's not a word. Unencumbered. Unencumbered. Yeah. Unhindered or unencumbered by the, the should I or shouldn't I kind of part of our brain in a certain realm, can be good. So the problem in his case, though, (laughs) is I think, you know, we could talk about this all in terms of maybe, and this is helpful to talk about motivations and the whys of serial killers, but the idea of connection and lack thereof. Mm We, and what made me think that was exactly how you just put it, of like, he's just existing outside of where everyone else exists at, you know? But it, I think it makes sense, though, when you hear exactly what happened to him. So some things he describes, and this is throughout the movie, which is why I do want to see it again, because I feel like I missed so much of 
some of what he's saying. But some Wait, things I, that he said. Before you go down the list, let me just say one thing about what you just said. The idea of him existing outside of himself in a way, I think is connected to why we are put at that above him angle all the time. Is because we mm. also are. So like I've had this experience. I've had a major, major panic attack before in my life where I literally felt as if I left my body and was floating above my own self and looking down on my body. It only has ever happened that one time and it's super freaky. But like, I almost feel like that's kind of the point in a way of setting the camera up and above so much of this action is because that is, it is an example of when we as humans disconnect from ourselves and it's a very scary and unpleasant and unnatural thing to have happen, right? Like, why the fuck do you suddenly, like, what has happened that makes you actually, like, leave your body, <laughs> right? But wow. I think that's, in a way, it's an attempt to kind of get closer to what the experience of somebody like this might be, this this just drastic disconnection. So anyway, so that's all to say, what's the list of things that you were going to... Just, I mean, I got again just a few things I picked up on, and it's just throughout though about his his history, the why. He says at one point, one time, my dad hit me so hard I fell to the ground. My mom and sister laughed at me. He says he had a crippling fear of being left alone, mm -hmm. and one time his grandma locked him alone in a dark room. He says, uh, my mother hated boys. For my mother, I was only a reason to get a girl for her. Yeah, see, I think this is, I think that we're honing in on something important here. I think that all of this is a way to show that the further down that pathway of, uh, uh, of of abuse like uh, and, and at its core abuse is basically putting a barrier between you know the abuser and the abusee it's a way to widen the gap from human like positive human connection between two people and so we're the way oh, a, a way to frame that from a uh, like a depiction side is to physically separate you you the viewer from the protagonist's self, right? Yes. So I think that all of these things are kind of connected in the actuality of the experience of a person who's you know has gone through these things that they probably or the theory could be that they they literally experience life outside of themselves or we are just this is just a a a take on what that might be like i don't know i don't think it's so much outside of themselves because like when we talk about when you said abuse and like what that does to a person I, from a subjective point of view for them i have to imagine it's it stops being abuse and becomes this is just how the world is and how people operate. This is normal. The idea of being locked in a room is normal. This is what people do. I agree, but I think the result may be that you 
feel for you, your sense of self is being pulled away from you by going through these things. Well, I, I that's think a total, in, yeah. that's totally theoretical on my part. I think not, <laughs> in for. your sense of self is, it's so important to have that sense of self in relation to where most others are at. So he's, I'd say he's more outside of others than necessarily like, sure, actually, again, because he's, yes. he's totally grounded in his reality again. Yes. That's and a better what, way to put it. Yeah, I like that. I, I think what's so fascinating too with the film and filmmaking is it like, oh God, what was I going to say? Like that, that's where I got caught up with him where maybe it does feel like not, again, not sympathetic, but like I am subjective with him. At a certain point when watching it, he does feel like the only sane one somehow with how the movie's <laughs> presenting it. Like, like everyone else that he just sort of comes across in the world, the film, it, it feels like it's depicting them as just sort of these weird other beings who just yeah. like don't get it in some way. That, like when that, he, Yes, that is my, <laughs> I think that is what we're getting at. So rather than the idea of him getting further away from himself, it's the divide between what he experiences and what the rest of the world experiences. And we're seeing how he is taking that in from one point of view. Like they, everybody feels alien to him. They're, they feel just super distant. Like there's this chasm of just how they view the world between him and them. And then from the filmmaking point of view, we're also getting that as the viewer, we're getting distance between ourselves and him. So both are happening. And I think that's brilliant. Well, what's, again, what's horrifying with it too, is I think there is a, a truth in that that's on display here. That's not so black and white as far as him being the clear crazy one and them being, you know, the the clear sane ones. Right, right. When it when it when it comes to normalizing murder, of course, that's obvious. But you get the sense that like everyone else is just sort of and this is a, a real life thing too where I feel like everyone uh -huh. for largely our lifetimes <laughs> we like live in a state of denial of how bad the world actually is. Yep. And he is so in touch with that firsthand. That's right, because that he's experienced it. it. So, so I, you're right. And so I think there's a real horror in that when you're watching it where you do pick up on how all these people that we maybe relate to and think are normal are the ones existing in a fantasy land that we've all collectively created. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's super intense. Because I totally, I mean, my, this whole year has to me been kind of an exercise in, getting in touch with that uh, that understanding of how easy it is to put blinders on just to you know to kind of get by to 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 fit into the norms of the world right and how the vast majority of humans are just doing that all the time like they ignore deep deep systemic issues that exist all around us all the time and we shouldn't <laughs> but we live in a world where if you if you resist those or fight against those systemic problems there are really really intense consequences like 
it is either it is easier as a human in our world to go along to get along and, and that is so <laughs> messed up that uh and that is where it maybe that is the horror within where i do relate to this guy on some level you know that's that's scary to to think about like i don't know if this is too political or personal tim but like i remember the first time i ever really consciously felt that was like around first or second grade when i'd ask like a couple times i'd ask both my teachers and my i think my dad like well why do I have to go to school? Why do I have to learn about math? <laughs> right. It doesn't interest me. And teachers and my dad, I remember, would get upset and flustered and just sort of end with a, you know, don't ask why, this is just how it is kind of thing. And <laughs> I realize looking back now, so much of what that is, what like what you're talking about as far as these ongoing afflictions, I think that one could be put as there's sort of a refusal or reticence in our culture to say, I don't know. And like, I think the healthier, the healthy response from an adult towards me at that time, I think would have been, you know, I don't know, but that's something uh, you should, you know, maybe hopefully one day uh, help change if it's really important to you, you know, (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) And yeah, so I don't, yeah, I don't know. Not much more to say on that. It's just fascinating to me because like, at the end of the day, what this movie is doing for us, the viewer, is <laughs> God, I don't even know how to put this exactly. It's it's using the experience of somebody that is so far from our experience to give us an eye in to kind of some larger issues with the world that we normally would not look at. Because it's a world that allowed for him to exist, that enabled a person like this to be made. Like you could say the state of the world at large is what created him. And you know what I mean? That's right. Yeah. Um It's cool. I think that is kind of a big part of why I what fascinates me about serial killers and, and people who do crazy stuff is because in a way, it it's so outside of our normal in quotations, experience that it, there has to be, it, it, it is shining a light on something. It's sort of opening us up to a different, a t- such a, a foreign realm that we have to, if we can get into it in some way, we then get, to, we're on the other side of the looking glass, looking back and going, oh shit, I've never seen the world this way before. And that's, I think as humans, really important to to be able to di- like dive into another perspective to gain more perspective on the broader experience yeah and so maybe that's why we like you and i and people like us enjoy horror so much maybe that's a big part of this is that we are stepping into a realm that allows us to see the world from a different we're we're taking the blinders off by doing it so you know, something to strive for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So like I was kind of already saying earlier, something I just found really fascinating with this film was how uh, the sense of realism it reached despite or in spite of, you know, the more 
deliberate, obvious mm-hmm. filmmaking techniques, how it still got to that like Henry portrait of a serial killer place, despite all this narration and crazy camera movement of right. just feeling like, Ick, this is real and it's happening. thought one of the major ways it did that was by keying into how, you know, like the, the phrase, the phrase, um, this was, uh, this is too, you know, the, this can never be written. This is too real. What? What is it? Now I'm forgetting the actual phrase. But uh, this is too realistic to have ever been made up. Like whatever Stranger that is. than fiction. <laughs> um, is, that, is that what you're sure. trying to say? <laughs> sure. So, so I think the film, it does that by like reaching certain like levels of weirdness that only make it feel more real, but then that never cross the line into like, total laughability because it's so bizarre it just reinforces its weirdness and i have to wonder if a big reason that that is able to happen and that works is because his starting off point was a fascination with a real life case yeah and he kind of took pillars of that real life case whether it would be i think the real life killer um his name was whatever uh he (laughs) It was a similar case you know where he killed some people went to jail for a long time came back out immediately did more murders yeah. But the first one was he killed random people and he said like what he does in this movie, how it starts out. When she opens the door before he shoots her, he says, I'm shooting now. Yeah. You know, and it was the real life guy said something. It was either that or very similar to that. Just sort of like a stark statement of intent. Um, and then we have like when he, the it was taken from real life too where when he's killing the the mother of the family and then tries to keep her alive longer by giving her her pills. That's that really right. happened. But then in this movie, it's like when she tries to like, he like kicks her out or she like tries to get out of the wheelchair and she like falls up and presses up against the wall. Yeah, that was and weird. It's a, not only does it look really weird how they do it, but just the fact that it happens at all and she's just kind of then stuck there against the wall. That's an example of feels like this is so weird to be, you know, to be fake kind of thing or it could only be true. Yeah. Well, that moment, too, made me kind of think this. There was a part of me that was like, I wonder if all of this is just happening in his head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I was like, we all, we're kind of tipping into with that moment in particular. I was like, oh, that's very unnatural. Is this potentially all just a, a dream fantasy for him rather than something real. And I don't think that the answer is yes, but it made me wonder in that moment because we, we got so close to something that really just seemed like that can't happen. She can't I be think- catapulted <laughs> upright by getting you know her wheelchair slammed against the wall. For me, it felt like the an extension of what the camera's already doing by just sort of being like shaky and crazy and yeah. kind of breaking rules and having a freneticism to it. I feel like this was as if it, you were just taking that energy that's already on display with the camera and putting it into this, the the not the blocking or the staging, but almost like the physics of how yeah, yeah. she's getting catapult catapulted up. Right, man. Um, yeah, it's cool. I mean. There's, I don't know. Go on. So, <laughs> kind of like what you touched on at the beginning too, the how this represents an indictment of like both the justice slash mm-hmm. rehabilitation system. I think that plays out so well when 
the moment he gets out for, you know, and before he goes on the spree and we're hearing his narration, it was, it made me understand where he was coming from in a way. He's no one was left to pick him up. He's, he's no not family. left. Like there, there's nothing even like a, a halfway house that you think would exist for someone like him yeah. or, you know, some kind of, some kind of like, let's help you reintegrate into society. He's literally just left out on the street yeah. with his not briefcase. our problem anymore. Right. And it's incredible because he does like he just. So what do I do now? I think I'm just going to find the closest coffee shop and we just and then we're off. Yeah. And that's just a total indictment of how he's. <laughs> yeah. Just not our problem anymore. As he Absolutely. said. I, I think I think we're, you know, the majority of people are starting to understand that like. Prison <laughs> by and large is not an effective way to deal with people who are struggling with any, you know, whatever, wherever they land on the spectrum of, of antisocialness. And maybe the fact that we have armed men wearing uniforms walking <laughs> down the street, with, yeah, as I said, armed with guns, yeah. like that's horrifying. That doesn't make for a safer world. Yeah, it, it, there, is, there is a section of the movie later, it's pretty much the hmm, let me think i remember having this thought where i was like in a way this fight that he's having and this struggle that he's having with the family is is starting to feel like he's that has become a, a different version a version of being in prison for himself that he's trying like I, I kind of got the sense that it was almost it felt like he was needed to break out of that prison too, like mm. like what he's doing felt like a prison break. You know, he's trying to hide the bodies, he's trying to put them in the car, he's trying to like unlock doors and get the car and find the keys. It's like he's escaping, which is its own sort of mirror on the the lack of a need to escape from the prison at the beginning. Right. They just opened the door for him. <laughs> right. And I was like, this is cool. It's like these two kind of, you know, we're putting these two things up against each other. The first one is supposed to be the one that is like, OK, with society. And the other one's supposed to be the one that's not. But in a weird way, they're like reversals of each other. And I was like, oh, man, this is freaky and cool and like poignant and messed up. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that just reminded me of something else I wanted to say on the realism. It felt real how at times, how half-assed his like, his <laughs> yeah. like what he was doing was as far as like, you know, the, 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 some of the family members, they're like escaping and he's like, he must be able to see them in his periphery, but then he just cares more about going to get a drink of water from the sink. Right. It's right. this weird, like we talked about detachment from his yeah. surroundings and then we see again he's like so he bothers to like take their bodies and put them in the car but then just crashes into another car i know like, <laughs> i mean and yeah the same he's very consistent because <laughs> like when he leaves prison he walks down the middle of the road you know and there are trucks and cars and stuff that have to go get like around him they like nobody's really honking they're just sort of like what's this crazy dude doing in the middle of the street i guess i'll go around but even that like yeah he's so disconnected from the understanding of what's going on around him and but even that 
to me is is not so much a a condemnation of him or like a critique of him. It's a critique of what prison will do to you. He just spent 10 years and he says this, right? Like he says, I don't know this town at all because I've been, I've lived in this town for 10 years, but I've been in prison the whole time. I don't know the town, so I don't know where to go. I don't know anybody. I don't know what to do. And that alone like sets us on our sort of path here of like, he just, there is no reintegration. He's completely on an island. And if that's not sort of a broader metaphor for like who he is, like, I don't know what is, right? But also in in response to how the system has decided to deal with him. Mm-hmm. It's nothing about what they've done is helpful to him. That's it. That's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> I just, because I brought it up earlier, I wanted to sort of finish some thoughts on the dog. Mm, mm-hmm. So first, it was this great, easy to just to mention, get out of the way. The dog just there the whole time just existed as this wonderful point of tension. Uh, if Is he going to hurt or mm. kill the dog? Mm-hmm. But then what became really so brilliant about it was, you know, like how we were saying, there's this unknowable mystery of, of why he is the way they are, why people like him are the way they are. And to have an animal as a up-close observer of him feels like it's just this almost God's eye view of how to be reacting to what he's doing. Yeah. You know, this, this uh, <laughs> totally objective point of view in a way. The, the, the true innocent Right. Yeah. Right. And so, like, we, we, I mean, you see that when we get that, that brilliant shot, I thought of, and it was actually a little sequence of kind of like right after the aftermath of what he does to the daughter. And you see the dog who's played with the ball and follows him there. Yeah. Is just, is just looking at him. And they, I mean, it's incredible, you know, however they do dog acting, but within the context of the movie, the meaning you're taking away from it here is like the dog's bothered on some level, but clearly just does not know what to do with with the situation where the dog seems equally like confused by what and if something just happened to his his or her family. Yet also, like, there's this new presence and whoever's the the big person walking around is who I trust and follow. Yeah. So, and then it's so, but then what's so cool is it's saying then just as much, it's equally saying stuff from the dog, how the dog is viewing him as well as then he is viewing the dog. The fact that he never murders the dog, the fact that he largely just ignores the the dog yeah. the fact that he you think he's just gonna close the door on the dog this is perfect timing almost comic timing of the dog just jumps in and he kind of like leaves the door open for him just that little bit because the dog's trying to jump in and then of course like you said he feeds him the sausage at the end like what like what what do you at any different at any moment when he was just going on with this super intense crazy serial killer inner monologue and killing people you're, I just kept wondering, like, what is he thinking of this little dog barking at him? He seems to show, like, total indifference towards right. the dog. Right. It's it really fascinating. I mean, I think the real horror of this film, the real true horror of it, is that he feeds a wiener dog a wiener. 
<laughs> Any other thoughts on what I was just saying? <laughs> no, that's it. Okay. It's messed up. It's good. It's messed up in the right way. Like the whole movie, I think, is really, it works really, really well. I don't really want to see it again necessarily anytime soon, but like, so be it. It's still very well done. Agreed. Great. Well, if you, did you have anything else? No. Great. In that case, neither do I. So we will move on to our next section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? (laughs) What did not work, Ryan? What did not work? How do you... How do you quantify that in a movie like this? I just don't. I don't have anything. I don't really feel like I. It's not that type of movie. <laughs> you know, like. Um, nothing I, about oh, you the know filmmaking. What? So I'm just going to use this then as an excuse to say more of what did work. We did not <laughs> okay. mention this dude's performance. That's it was true, incredible because right. I, I just ran through my mind. Oh well, could I say anything about the, his performance? Oh my god, his performance was incredible. Yeah. How could we not have mentioned that? That guy, like he just seethed. Just he just existed as this 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 hurt horrible man. You know? I think yeah, a, a true testament to his his performance is that we didn't think of it as a performance. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what as far as what didn't work? No, I don't have anything. You know what didn't work for me? Just the amount of of like plate glass that gets broken and nobody gets cut up. Well, like, can you imagine for- going through the, going through one of those windows, like the the glass of that door? You know how? Oh my god, you would be torn to shreds i don't think we were ever given the opportunity to see that one way or the other as far as the bodies on the ground getting Agreed. dragged through the glass very very true that i believe yeah. the actor actually did uh hurt himself in i would breaking through those <laughs> so there you Shit, go man well man. There, you know no 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 i don't have right. there's nothing really i just don't it's i don't what could you say that about this that didn't work? I didn't like how violent it was. <laughs> we could say we didn't like the fact that it was banned. Apparently, yeah, like in America, you could the only way you could see it for some time, I don't know, forget where it was, but like after being super limited in theaters for like very, very, very short amount of time, like a day, days or something like that, it was then moved to like porno theaters because of its triple X rating. And then even then it was only available for a week. So, hmm. Yeah, well, that's all pretty. There's, there's a whole conversation that's, you know, that's interesting. I don't want to have it now, but this whole conversation of like how we measure what is like acceptable to be out there and, and just like the history of that is, is really fascinating to me. Yeah. Cause it is, it's super subjective, <laughs> but like um, consensus happens to some degree yes anyway well was that another conversation (laughs) 
And is that all a uh, thing of noty enough? We could maybe move on yeah. to that section. Okay, great. Next section. Things of note. Things of note! <laughs> this should be interesting. Okay, I was trying to think of it earlier when I at the way beginning when I'm like, it was also called or its original language, schizophrenia is another oh. title for it, I think was okay. its original title. So cool. it was fun learning. You know, uh we covered climax uh on our show by the filmmaker Gaspar No. Mm-hmm. The he Gaspar No cites this film, Angst, as a big, big influence on okay. him and his filmmaking. That was interesting. You could definitely see that. Definitely. Uh, already mentioned this was loosely based on mass murderer Werner Misek, and mm-hmm. specifically as far as the idea of someone immediately murdering after being you know, put away for years for murdering just kind of a woman out of the blue. Um, the specific... Uh, cons the the family unit that was there. We didn't even talk about or mention this. Could have easily gone on another rabbit hole with this. Uh, the fact that the son, who is like an older son, was mm-hmm. disabled or invalid. Right. Uh, oh, it was- yes. There was a whole line of thought I had about how how smart a decision it is to to have him be handicapped. Right. Because, again, it's sort of putting the mirror up of like how we view. uh, I I don't know, disability or what's another word for like having some sort of non normative condition. I think that's a good way to put it, you know, because. The killer. Has a version of that. Society has said that, hey, he has a, a version of that. He's not normal, right? And when he shows up and sees that dude, he does not go after him at all. I felt this moment of almost like, in a weird way, it felt like he was sort of had recognition of that, like the killer did, of like, oh, that's not somebody I'm going to go after because he's he's more like me than quote-unquote normal people. And I, I don't know if that was the case or, or they were attempting to make that comment, but that was the immediate impression I had, which I thought was really cool because it does start to speak to like how we view what is normal and what is not normal and then like our judgment of those things. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> kind of like you know, I said, you know, weirdness on display earlier, like it <laughs> there even that that guy you know is a sort of you know an odd thing you don't expect to necessarily see just this you know disabled man alone in a wheelchair and a suit mm-hmm. alone in this big old mansion that wasn't even like the weird stuff going on because like that you also had this like lone twin bed just kind of like <laughs> angled in the middle of a room like <laughs> yeah <laughs> The it, it sort of felt too like the the mansion as a whole. I, I don't know the mansion as a whole felt kind of like the same as putting the suit on mm-hmm. the sun. 
it, there's something like honestly, it was it's really affecting to me where I feel like this is really tricky territory here because there's there's more than one thing going on. But like the way they put a suit on him feels like some sort of like rejection or like or like trying to like it's hard because it should normalize who he like he is normal. You know, there's nothing wrong with him, I wanna say. The sun but, means yeah, but it's there's some seems to be some sort of you're you're in tune with some sort of societal denial of mm-hmm. of how we aren't best maybe helping him. Uh yeah, I think that just the fact that he is there by himself speaks to a broader sense of neglect, which is completely where the killer is coming from. Right? There's like, just yeah, maybe it's just too like there's it's the place feels incredibly sad, even though it should be this like gorgeous grounds of a nice right. house. It's just feels dead inside. Yeah. 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 The house is really fascinating. There's, there's so little in the home that makes it feel like an actual home. Yeah. And like that sub basement, the, just the fact that it exists, the grounds, like the grounds are sort of overgrown there's like a a pond that looks like it hasn't been really like tended to. There's a lot of cool stuff in the visuals and like the setting of that, that, that like, I'm not even sure what the takeaway is other than it, it creates that it, it creates sort of vague senses of like discomfort. But and like distinctly though, a, uh, a European sadness and discomfort, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, it's very German, right? Yeah. Man. Well, I didn't really have much else for things of note, unless you did. No, I didn't really. We covered a lot of of them kind of as we went along. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else. Great. Well, then I think we can put a bow on angst for yeah. now. And move on to if we have any recommendations. Hmm. Hmm. Do we? <laughs> I do, Tim. I saw oh, a movie last night. Okay. Uh, it was called Gunda. I believe, or Gunda, maybe. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's this incredible... It's a, the kind of movie I've always just wanted to see and like felt should exist. And now it's here in this movie. It is a completely narrationless, very opposite of angst, narrationless documentary following some animals around at a farm, namely like a pig that's just given birth to piglets. And then we kind of also jump around to some chickens and some cows. But it's just like the sound and the picture are just incredible and put you right there. The black and white like really makes you just read into these animals and who they are in a fascinating way that other nature documentaries don't so much. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I thought it was very powerful and fascinating. It felt like we were, um, I don't know. It was, it was, yeah, I guess that's all I'll say on it. <laughs> um, I'm Great gonna... ending too. Ama- some amazing shots that they got in the film that, you know, are just, you could only get in one take ever. So uh, check it out. 
you listening and you, Tim. All right. All right. Maybe I will. I'm looking here at my list. What is what what have I seen? That's or what have you read or listened to or been or eaten or. Oh, man. Did I ever recommend Dead the Bad Batch? We've talked about it. We've talked about it, but I don't know if I recommended it. Nope, Um, you have not. Because that's a a really cool movie. And it's by the same director who did A Girl Who Walks Home Alone at Night. Anna Lilia Mirpour. Yep. Um, I think you should, if you haven't seen that, I think people should see that. Bad Batch is really cool. I mean, it's... Definitely see the her first one too, but Bad Batch is so freaky cool stylized stuff that I really like, and it it's like we're in another realm, which is a thing that I really love too. It's not really re it's not current Earth reality. It feels like it's some other world. Um, so yeah, it's a movie that, world she's conjured. It's and it's just so yeah, cool. It's really really visually amazing and but just the vi- the whole vibe it's a vibe that whole movie it's just one big vibe <laughs> i'll never forget going to see it at arclight hollywood rest in peace and it had uh oh, no. really stuck with me and it's just kind of one of those movies too where you I, I i kept i couldn't i couldn't forget the feel of it and so i revisited it like maybe a, a year ago and yeah, really liked it even more that second time, just because you know you're you know what it is already. And I agree, it's really great. Um, yeah. Also, one other thing: if throughout this entire episode you've been hearing my stomach growling, I apologize, but it is out of control. I I guess I'm hungry, but it is just nonstop <laughs> growling. <laughs> so sorry I about have, that. I have That's that weird anything. noise you're hearing. <laughs> great. Well, Tim, it's my turn to decide what we're watching next week. It sure is. Will Let me you mix it up a little bit here? Okay. Let me do the honors best we can remotely. Yep. All right. And stop. We have here Village of the Damned, 1960. We still are pre 2000. What was our cutoff? Yep. That's pretty sweet. We now are even in... Yes, we had I already have reached our longest this. run. I don't know if I have either. Even though it's, you know, pretty well known and out there. Cool. Great. I look forward to finally seeing it then. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, if you made it this far, hey, we thank you so, so much uh, for being here. You can find us wherever you found us. Our mixer master is Brendan Welch. Thank you, Brendan. And our big ask is if you do and did enjoy being here, you tell a like-minded friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're like me, you only have three. <laughs> so tell them. <laughs> Great. Well, then, uh, again, in closing, whether you're feeling angsty or not, thanks so much for listening. Yes, and we will see you next time. I'll <laughs> <laughs>